So my wife and I have a long history together. Actually, we've grown up together since we were two years old, one year old and two years old. Uh, we actually met here at Westside and spent our entire childhood growing up together. And uh, it's, it's kind of amazing. We were each other's first crush. And when you get to that point in life where you start to notice people romantically, uh, we started to notice each other. And uh, we didn't always know exactly what to do about that uh, or how to go about it, especially, you know, as you're young and and young teenagers and all that stuff is really awkward. But eventually we started dating in high school and it was really great for a short time. And then, and you'll understand this if you know my wife, if you've seen my wife, if you know her personality and my personality, this makes sense to you. Then she broke up with me and that hurt, but I kind of got it. I mean, I probably realized that I was playing out of my league a little bit, uh, if you know what I mean. Um, but that came to an ending. Uh, but we stayed friends and we kept in touch. Um, and over the next couple of years, we weren't always really in close contact, but uh, we always sort of stayed in touch and were friends. And in university, we ended up back in some of the same classes and some of the same program um, and rekindled our friendship to a little bit of another level. But I was always a little bit standoffish. Just with that, that in the background, knowing we had dated and then it didn't work out and she had broken up with me. And so uh, I had kind of kept things a little bit further away. And then there was this, this moment where um, one of our friends, mutual friends that we grew up with, was getting married. And a bunch of our friends were going, people that we knew. And so uh, Bryna asked me if I would go with her, uh, kind of as friends. And hey, there's going to be a group of us and we all know this guy. And so let's go together. And so I said, sure, let's go. So we all met at somebody's house and we parked our individual cars. And then we got into one car. We drove out to the wedding. We spent the day. It was good. We had a good time. And then when everything was over at night, we all came back um, and got in our own cars. And I got in my car and I went to drive away. Way. And just before I went to pull out of the driveway, I mean, the engine was running. I just put it in reverse, was about to go. And right at that second, all of a sudden, the front door, uh, passenger side opens and she just jumps in and sits down. And I look over a little bit stunned and I say to her, so we're going for a drive? And she just kind of smiled and she says, yeah, we're going for a drive. So we did. And that night, um, she just kind of just opened up uh, and told me that she wanted us to date again and wanted us to be together and figure out if this is something that could happen. And she shared a lot about her life and her feelings and sort of put it out to me to decide, is this something that you want? Is this something that, that you want to pursue and continue? And I look back now. And I realized how powerful a moment that was. An absolute life-changing moment. Today, we've been married for almost 11 years. We have two beautiful children together, an entire life that we've built together that I am so blessed to have, so excited um, just that the life has turned out this way and that we've been able to build this kind of life together and marriage is beautiful and wonderful. And I look back and realize that moment needed to happen. That moment was pregnant with potential and possibility and decision. And we all have those moments in our lives Different moments that push us to make big decisions. Moments that uh, will change our lives depending on which way we go, what we do, what we say, the choices that we make. It's those moments where you realize you've fallen in love. Or you decide that you're going to propose. When you make decisions about the kind of vocation that you're going to pursue in your life. 
They come in all different shapes and sizes. Some of them are really big, huge, sometimes scary, intimidating moments. Some of them are subtle and you barely even know that they're there. But we all have those moments where we're put to decisions that change our lives. And we have them not just as individuals. We also have them collectively. We kind of have them globally. There's these moments where we can look back uh, in history now and we can see that was a moment that changed a nation or that changed a people group or that changed the entire world. Moments like when Martin Luther King Jr. stood up on the march on Washington and gave his I have a dream speech. Moments like when Terry Fox began his marathon of hope running across the country and raising awareness and money for cancer. Moments like when first responders ran back into the World Trade Towers on 9-11 to save and rescue as many people as they could. There are these moments where we look back and we say, our world is a different place because of that moment and how people responded and how people let it change them and the decisions that we made coming out of them. Jesus gives us uh, one of those moments, and we're working through the book of Mark. We started last week in this series, and uh, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, we get a glimpse into just such a moment, the moment where Jesus begins his ministry and actually calls us to follow him into a time just like that. Mark chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 14 and 15 for you. Notice the time. It says, now after John was arrested, last week we talked about John the Baptist, who uh, paved the way for Jesus to come in his ministry. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel or the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Believe in the good news. Jesus is saying, as N.T. Wright says, he says, the preliminaries have all happened. Everything is ready now. And he proclaims the good news of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is God ruling or God being active, that God is now working in an extraordinary way in the world. It's now at hand. It's now available to you. And then he talks about repenting and believe in that good news. Believe that God is all around you, that God is invading this world, that God is bringing his kingdom, his kingdom of goodness and justice and beauty and wonder and righteousness and all the good things that go into the flourishing life of human beings in good relationship with God and each other. All that is now ready to go. So he says, repent and believe. And so a reminder in this series, we, we last week looked at the definition of that word repent and the Greek word metanoia, which means to go beyond your current mind, to think differently, to have a paradigm shift about how you approach your life, how you approach God, how you approach the entire world and everything that's happening in it. This is the invitation Jesus is giving us to think beyond what you currently think, to learn new things about how to approach life. The time is now fulfilled or it's ready. The Greeks have two words for time. We see them both used in the New Testament that actually speak to two different things. Helps us to understand what Jesus is talking about here if we differentiate them. The first is chronos, which is where we get uh, our word chronological or chronology. It speaks to chronological time, sequences of events. We could look at our lives and we often, especially in the Western world, we think very much of time in terms of chronology. 
And what chronology does when we look at the events of our lives, it takes, um, if we look at our own personal histories or the history of the world, we take sometimes very disconnected events and the way that we put them together is through chronology. This is what happened on Monday. And then this is what I did on Tuesday. And then this is what happened to me on Wednesday. And sometimes things and events and uh, aspects of our lives that seem very disjointed, the only real way that we put them together is through chronology. Speaks about minutes and hours. Days, months, years. It's about time management. It's about scheduling. It's about what happened and then what happened next and what's going to happen in the future after that. Very linear. But this is not the kind of time that Jesus was talking about. He used another word in Greek called kairos. Kairos speaks about divinely appointed moments of decision. Divine appointments. There are these moments in our lives that have so much potential. There are these moments where, where God invades and shows up, reveals himself to us, speaks into our lives, and gives us the option to be part of what he is doing. It's the call of Jesus to say, come follow me in the kingdom of God and find out what this is all about. When we're living in Kairos or we're aware of the Kairos moments, we see moments in terms of our faith. The events of today or this month or this year uh, become events that are shaping us. The hands of God who is molding us and molding our world, changing our hearts, giving us opportunity to become different people than we were before, to move us along in our spiritual growth, our growth as people, our growth as community, and our growth in the world. Henry Nouwen, great writer, talks about this kind of kairos. And he says certain events, current events, historical events, Critical incidents in life circumstances serve as signposts pointing to the will of God and the new creation for those with eyes to see and ears to hear. For those who are willing to become spiritually alert, you'll now see God working in events and moments, not just simply what happened yesterday and what happens tomorrow, but what is God speaking to us in the critical historical events that are happening all around us? Where is God teaching us? And where is he calling us to say, repent? Where is he asking us to say, rethink how you think about this? Rethink how you look about the, about the world. See things differently. See what God is doing and what God is teaching you. Like we talked about last week, to accept the mind of a beginner, a beginner's mind that says, I don't know everything about life. And maybe God is teaching me something brand new about who I am, about who we are, about what he's doing. Jesus used this term later in his ministry. You can read about it in Luke chapter 12. He tells, has this little teaching moment, just a few verses. In verse 54, it says, he also said to the crowds, that's Jesus, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be a scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky. But why do you not know how to interpret the present time, the present Kairos? And here Jesus is talking about his ministry, the unfolding of his ministry. He's moving towards the time where he'll be crucified. And you're seeing political upheaval and religious upheaval. You're seeing people, you know, in those moments, everything is kind of changing for them. And some of them are very much opposing Jesus. Some of them are accepting. And he's saying, listen, you understand how to interpret weather patterns. You see a cloud coming off in the distance. You know to prepare for rain. You start feeling the wind come from a certain direction. You know this is, this is going to bring in the warm air from that area. 
But what if you could start to see the Kairos moments in your life? What if you could open up your eyes to see the work of God all around you and to make decisions to partner with him in this world? What if you could see the goodness and the beauty and the grace and the forgiveness that you get to be part of and then to plan as a result? He's calling people to look to a deeper spiritual reality, to look to the meaning and purpose of those significant moments where everything changes, where God offers to really mold us and change us in very significant ways. Again, not only as individuals, though that's really important, but also collectively to change the world and how we live. Paul, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, uses the same word, talks about it. In verse 15, he says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. And Paul here is talking, obviously, to people who are in significant trials. Says the days are evil. These are hard days. These are days where you're being opposed. You need to act in wisdom. How do you do that? You need to take every opportunity given to you. Every kairos. uses the same word. Sometimes we read that passage and we still think of it in terms of chronos, chronology. We talk about we have to have good time management. We have to make sure that our days are filled with lots and lots of activity. It's not what Paul's talking about. You need to learn to live wisely in the Kairos moments, to walk in the Spirit, to be looking all around for the acts and the movements of God, to ask, what is God teaching me, and how can I partner with what he's doing in the world? How can I let him mold me to become wiser? And in the context, if you read that whole passage and you read the passage before it, it talks about walking in love, in the world, even in difficult days, as he talks about, becoming more aware of the Holy Spirit of God and then to live accordingly. This was uh, part of uh, the expectation that people had of uh, what the Messiah would do. If you read, if we go back to Mark chapter 1 and you ask yourself, what is the next thing that Jesus does? The rest of chapter 1 is basically concerned with two things. One, he starts calling people to follow him. Specific disciples, he says, come follow me, come follow me. The second thing is Mark chapter 1 is filled with healings. All kinds of people, people who are sick, people who have uh, been possessed by demons, and people are being brought to Jesus and he's healing people. And to be honest with you, when we read those things, uh, we really, oftentimes, we don't know what to do with them. Uh, We don't know what to do with those, that whole chapter, because most of us, uh, we might sit back and say, I, you know, I I can't heal anybody. Uh, Maybe we've never seen anybody be healed. Maybe we see people on TV who claim to heal people and then ask everybody for all their money and then comes out that people aren't really healed and we get skeptical, which totally makes sense. Uh, But let me read to you a little bit uh, about what uh, happens from verse 29, it says, And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. These are some of the people called to be his first disciples. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And you go, what is happening? I mean, how demons, what do we do with that? 
these healings, are we supposed to see that all around us? And I do believe that God continues to heal people and can heal people. Uh, but we see something powerful about the messianic expectation. If you go back to some of the prophets, like the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 35, kind of speaking of this time, and we're sort of, uh, they're looking forward to a Kairos, to, to a moment, a decisive moment, to a divine appointment when God would come with his anointed one and do something decisive in the world. So Isaiah 35 verse 5 says, And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. deaf. The lame will leap like a deer and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. How are you going to know when the Messiah comes? And these are actions we read in Mark chapter 1 that actually give Jesus' teaching and his words authority. People go, man, he's got authority. And what Jesus is doing in between as he teaches, when he teaches, he's actually interpreting what he's doing and what we read here. This is what the Messiah does, ushers in a new, uh, a new work of God where people who are hurting, people who are sick, people who are poor, people who are afflicted spiritually are being healed and restored. It's amazing. So what do we do with all these healings? You can read, there's even more of them. There's a leper at the end of the uh, chapter, which is uh, someone with some kind of skin disease that would have kept them out of the community. They wouldn't have been able to associate with other people. They wouldn't have been able to go into the temple and be part of the religious community and to worship properly until they were deemed clean. And Jesus touches him and heals him and takes that away. What is he doing? Here's what we're supposed to take from it. Jesus' healings are a sign that point to the reality that he is entering the struggle against the forces of evil and destruction. He's healing people. And he's pointing to the fact this is what the kingdom of God does. He's illustrating the fact. He's acting it out. He's giving people a visual. What's going on? Look at these people who have a demon. It's like their entire personality is taken over with this strong presence inside of them. And we need an even stronger spiritual presence that can cast it out. And Jesus casts out the demons. These people with illnesses that we can't do anything about. And Jesus comes and just like that, restores them. It's Jesus making a statement, not just in his words, but in his actions, that he's entering the struggle against evil and destruction in the world. And the kingdom of God is God bringing things back putting things back together. That's what the Messiah does. And this is the time, it says. This is the Kairos. And this is the invitation. Today, in 2020, we are in a generational Kairos moment. Right now, the world is in a spot where there is a huge opportunity an opportunity for us to rethink in a big global way how we live, how we treat each other, how we think about our life, how we think about the world, and how we think about God. For those who want to figure it out, for those who want to reflect and go deep and to look for the Spirit, I believe that God is going to teach us many things through this time, through this divine uh, opportunity. In, in the midst of something none of us would have chosen, but that God will use it as a moment for us to rethink and to reframe. Again, Henry Nouwen says, Kairos means that the opportunity is right. It's the right time, the real moment, the critical event, the chance of our lives. When our time becomes Kairos, it opens up endless new possibilities and offers us a constant opportunity for a change of heart. These Kairos moments come in, in, in all different ways. And I think God is giving us a Kairos 
moment. I don't mean that he's caused this whole thing, but as we walk through it, I believe that he's given us an opportunity in it to see him in a brand new way. So do you want to know what a real simple but powerful question is at this time, at this Kairos moment where we have an opportunity to see God working and to partner with him, to, to see our world change? It's simply this. What is God teaching me? What is God teaching us in this Kairos moment? Have you thought about that yet? Whatever it looks like, and time looks different for all of us right now. For some of us, uh, we feel like we have more time than ever. We're maybe off work or stuck from doing the normal routine of our lives, and we have lots of time. Others of us feel like we have no time because we're, we're even busier than ever. Maybe if you're at home and you're working from home and you're trying to figure out a new way of working, everything online, or you have kids at home full-time that you're used to going to school or in daycare, and now you're trying to make everything work, whatever it is for you, this is a moment in time where I wonder if we'll stop and we'll really drill down and ask God, what is he trying to tell us? What is he trying to teach us? How does he want to mold us and make us new people, different people? You know, this is why over the last little while we've started to have our Soul Care Sundays. I hope that you've tuned in on some of those and started watching them and we start talking about some new spiritual rhythms or disciplines that we can try and foster. The reason why we're doing that is to help us to tune in to God so that when the Kairos moments come, we're, we, we're, we're listening, we're attentive. We immerse ourselves, we saturate ourselves in Scripture because God speaks to us through Scripture we quiet ourselves in prayer so that we can listen to his voice quietly speaking through our situation, through other people. We express ourselves in community so that we can learn from each other and ask, what is God teaching you and what might that mean for us? We have these rhythms that help us to slow down and to quiet ourselves so that we can hear the voice of God, so that we can ask those questions and really reflect, God, what are you teaching me now? So here's what I want to encourage you to do. Whatever your life looks like right now, whatever time looks like for you right now, is to spend some chronos reflecting on Kairos. Spend some minutes, maybe take 30 minutes a week or an hour a week where you sit quietly and you think about the things you've read in Scripture, the times you've had in prayer, where you think about current events, where you think about what your friends are going through, what your family's going through, where you think about your own emotions and where you quietly sit before God and ask Him to teach you and speak to you. Spend some time journaling. Write down your feelings. Write down some of the events that are happening. And look in those moments for the acts of the Spirit of God all around you. And I can't tell you what that is. I can't tell you what God is teaching you. I don't even know exactly, of course, what God is going to teach the world. But I think that we are entering into a kairos, a divine appointment, a time where God powerfully thrusts us into moments of decision about who we are. And he wants to mold us and change us and to change our world for those who have eyes to see the moves of the spirit and want to respond to the call, the invitation to follow Jesus, whatever our world might look like right now. Would you spend some chronos reflecting on kairos? We want to learn to recognize and respond to these divine appointments. When God steps into our lives in these ways to be able to recognize there's, there's God working, there's God teaching me, and then to be willing to respond and follow him. How will you rethink your life? How will you go beyond your current mind as a result of this pandemic? Maybe you will rethink how you act in your marriage, the way that you're a parent, 
what needs to change maybe in your family life, how God is molding your family, maybe reflecting on the blessings that you have as a family or in your extended family. Maybe you're rethinking your vocation and how you spend your time and energy and use your gifts in this world and coming out of this. What is it that you should be uh, doing? Maybe it's the relationships that you have and, and who you invest time and energy into. Maybe not only as individuals, but collectively, we'll start to think about things like how we're all interconnected, which you can't deny anymore, the interconnectedness. And what does it mean? What does God want to teach us as we realize how interconnected the entire world really is? Maybe God wants us to rethink how we treat vulnerable people in our city, in our culture, in the world. Not just when there's a pandemic, but all the time. Maybe we'll rethink our values and our priority and what's really important in life. But I believe that at this moment in time, that there's an opportunity for us to see the work of God, a divine appointment and many divine appointments that come up all the time, not just during this, but all the time to shape us and to mold us if we're willing to look for them, recognize God and respond to what he's doing. So spend some time, spend some chronos, reflecting on Kairos. Spend some time reflecting on the divine appointments that God has for you each day in all different moments. So this week, in my situation, I don't want this to sound like a complaint. We're really blessed. My wife and I are both working right now, both working from home, and we have our two kids, a one-year-old and three-year-old. And so while it's wonderful, we're so thankful that we're both able to work. We're so thankful that we're also all together and we're healthy right now. Our biggest challenge right now is time, chronos time. It's scheduling around each other. It's trying to figure out uh, how do you have enough time to do your work and me enough time to do my work and somebody's always got to be watching the kids and then it's bedtime routine and then it's our bedtime routine and we got to have enough energy and do it. And this week, I, I was spending a few minutes with my kids. Bryna was working and so I had my time with them and I'm trying to entertain them and, and teach them something and, and just keep them going for the afternoon. And I found myself feeling frustrated. I found myself feeling kind of agitated because... I had so much work to do, and I felt like I was running out of time. I needed more time to do all the things that I needed to do. And just then, as I was feeling that way, I was sitting uh, on the floor, and just as that, that was kind of in my mind and, and I was feeling it, my beautiful, precious one-year-old daughter crawled all the way across the room, right into my lap, grabbed onto me, smiled, and looked me right in the eyes. A Kairos. A moment for me to be reminded of my greatest, most rich role in this world, that of husband and father. A reminder that my kids will not really care how this sermon goes, how well I spoke and how well researched it was, how efficient I am at my work and whether I got everything checked off on my list. But how God works in the smile and the gaze of a young child, the relationship of a father and his daughter, a father and his son or children playing on the floor, uniting in a relationship, loving each other, treasuring each other, valuing each other, laughing. A Kairos moment. Divine appointments come in all sizes. They come in global pandemics and they come in a daughter's smile. We may sometimes like we're feel, feel like we're running out of chronos, but we are never short 
on Kairos. And so may your eyes be open to see the depth and power of the divine appointments that are available to you and to us today. Heavenly Father, may that be our prayer. Open our eyes and our ears to see your movements all around us, to recognize you working, and to respond accordingly. God, give us the humility to have the minds of beginners, of learners, to be open to you teaching us and changing the way that we think and act in this world. Would you help us to recognize the very special moments in our mundane lives, in our worried lives, in our happy lives, in our sad lives, in all of our circumstances, to recognize the moments where you want to mold us and change us, to see them, recognize them, and to respond. Thank you that your kingdom has burst forth into this world, even in a difficult time, that we can see you and trust you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.